Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Make no mistake, if you're an author, you're an entrepreneur. You're selling the world on your book, aren't you? Of course, it's not as easy as launching a business and then tossing any old book up on Amazon. That's why I help entrepreneurs publish books on the specific topic and in the specific way that will launch or grow their businesses. Welcome to Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with your professor, Anna David. Hi there, welcome to Entrepreneur Publishing Academy. How are you today? You know what we talk about. We talk about books and how to write one and publish one that will build your business or, you know, make you into the superstar that you know you are. And today's episode is with my friend. She's one of those pandemic friends. So like, I would say my good friend, but we haven't actually met. It just seems like we have. And I reached out to her. Uh, oh, it was Clubhouse. Remember Clubhouse? I saw her on Clubhouse and I go, she does something kind of like what I do. And I reached out and said, hey, let's try to take over the world together. And she's so cool and so funny. And I couldn't believe she hadn't been on the podcast already. Enough with the suspense. Her name is Elizabeth Lyons. I call her Liz. That's because we're friends. But professionally, she is known as Elizabeth Lyons. She is somebody who helps people publish, uh, write and publish their books. Um, she's the creator of the Book Writing Accelerator. She's written five books herself. And um, she's really my my comrade in arms. And in this episode, we get into, we get diverted a lot before we get to the main topic, which is what exactly should go in your nonfiction book? What should your table of contents look like? How do you start? All of those things is so good. Uh, to get the to get the show notes, which you want, go to LegacyLaunchpadPub.com slash blog slash Liz. And now I give you Elizabeth Lyons. This is so long overdue. Right? Would you not agree? I would totally agree. It's so funny because right when you messaged me, I had been thinking the exact same thing well, that I need you, to get you on mine. You came and spoke to my class and I get that confused sometimes with, oh, mm. this person has already been a guest. But so we quote unquote met early pandemic, I would say, where I noted your existence and I did what I will sometimes do. And I said, I need to know this person. And I reached out and I said, should we know each other? And you basically said, yes. Is that how you remember it? I mean, I, who remembers anything before two days ago? Like I barely oh. remember, like, did I eat breakfast today? I don't even know. But yes, that, that rings true. It, yeah. It doesn't ring false. It does not ring false. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so, and I thought, my God, we do such similar things that yeah. we need to take over the world together or do whatever. And it's, and it's been glorious on, on several levels. A, 
we refer each other clients because we kind of offer different ish yet similar things. Right. And B, just to have someone to go to text and go, whoa, do you deal with this? Right. Yes. Right. Yes, 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 I do. And you know what I love about it too, is that we, we do, we do, we do the similar things. Yeah. And as you said, we do them slightly differently. And sometimes it's really reassuring. I think in any space to recognize that at every, there's a devil at every level, so to speak. Oh, oh, tell me, tell me more. Well, just meaning that it doesn't matter if you're offering a free course, a $47 course, a $1,000 course, a $25,000 package, a $100,000 package. When it comes to just managing expectations, setting expectations, um, getting really clear about what a client is looking to do and whether or not you're the right person to help with that, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have packages at levels that I don't have packages at. And we still, we talk about some of the same things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes I just, and I feel like I've sort of given you this talk. It's like my, the, the people who pay the least are the most demanding and the people who pay the most are the least demanding. And I don't know if it's part of some, you know, 80, 20 principle or, um, or just mm-hmm. it, 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 having clients is the most fascinating experience in expectations. What it's taught me is when I haven't been a good client. Exactly. Do that to you because it's like I just had a surgery and I try to think of it the way that my clients think of our service. They come in, they don't know anything about it. What I know, I forget they don't know. Absolutely. And, And so it's constantly knowing that what you're dealing with is people's fear around the fact that they don't understand. Exactly. They shouldn't because- And that's what I say all the time, because you and I both deal with incredibly, you know, successful, confident, and I don't just mean success in terms of their bank account. I mean, they are, they know of what they speak. They are confident in who they are. They walk with a certain, the whole thing. And yet sometimes they feel like there's something wrong with them because they can't figure out this book writing and publishing thing. And that's what I say all the time. Why would you know this? Yeah. Like, yeah. why would you know what the surgeon is going to do with your intestines? Right. It's not something that you have an interest necessarily in spending time researching. Right. That's why you've hired us. Correct. So let's talk about your journey. Totally different than mine. Right. Um, let's also talk about how you have five children and I don't even <laughs> understand, but go on. Okay. So how did, so, so it starts with you looking at, I want to, I want to publish a book. Let me look into this traditional thing. What happened? I mean, kind of, right? So it started with, I, you know, finding out I was having twins, always having wanted to write something, not being sure, like, what was I actually capable or qualified to write? Because I didn't have a degree in writing and all the things that people back then, this was 2002, said you had to have. So I find out I'm expecting twins and I, I want a book that basically doesn't exist. And so I think, hmm, maybe I can write that. And the first thing I thought to do was go traditional because back then that was the only, I mean, that was the only thing to do really. Um, so I tried and I quarried and I quarried and I quarried some more and everybody was like, nope, your market's not big enough. That's all I heard. And this was before Amazon, social media. 
Um, it was just all based on market. Like how big is your readership? And the, the feeling was that because my re readership wasn't in the potentially millions that I didn't have a viable product. So I thought, well, that I don't like the word. No, I've never liked the word. No. So I thought, well, how, how hard, how hard can it be? Right. Famous last, last words. So I did go initially with, I guess what you would call a vanity publisher, you know, and it didn't go great because as we were just saying, I didn't know what questions to ask. So when I was told things like, we're going to do this for you and we're going to do that for you, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Right. Not really realizing what that meant and didn't mean. And so it became clear very quickly that I was on the losing end of this deal um, in this particular case, because I was, I was fronting all the money, which is a fine business model, in my opinion, uh, for book publishing or really anything else. But they were keeping still like 70% of the profit. I couldn't figure that out. Yeah. So it, yeah, I just, it just didn't make any sense. So I quickly cut ties with them and then started all over on my own. And that's where I figured out step by step by step by Google search by step by Google search, you know, how to how to do it. And then well, it did well. <laughs> well. So it's interesting. I was just reading Jane Friedman's hot sheet and there's yes. been this huge uh, exploration of the, what they call hybrid publishing, which it, hybrid publishing means two things. It's what we do where people pay us in order to do the work for them. And it's also when you pay somebody and they take a percentage and nobody in this report has any judgment about what we're doing, but there's great judgment about that model. And, that and I have, I'm not going to lie. I have great judgment about that model. Yeah. And that's exactly why I don't run my publishing house that way. Right. It seems like a terrible idea, even from a business standpoint for them, since most books sell 300 copies. Exactly. So they're setting themselves up for people to be upset. Not only that, the, the accounting end of it, the administrative end of it for the publishing house, I have to imagine is insane Yeah, because I know what it is just for my books. Yeah. Um, just checking my own personal books, the books I've written and published and what they're earning on all the different platforms each month. And some pay 90 days and some pay it 30 days. And then there can be returns if you're with you know, Ingram Spark, and you therefore are distributing to bookstores or whatever. Right. And so all of those things come into play. And to figure out what you owe an author, number one, and number two, for the author to look at that report and have confidence that it's correct. And I'm not suggesting that it's not correct. I'm just saying that I know, having worked with a wonderful distributor way, 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 way back in the day before Amazon, to get my books in bookstores, I would get their report at the end of the month and we could not figure out, is this even right? Right. I, I, I'm very challenged with reports and, and numbers <laughs> anyway, so I don't even try. I never looked at my book sales ever, ever, ever. I just take a check if it comes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you get the, you get everything back from this company and you mm -hmm. figure out all the things, which back then must have been extremely challenging. 
Extremely. <laughs> yes. I mean, that, then that's an understatement because it yeah. was, it was really, I don't even know if I was just a masochist or extremely determined, which right. was it right Hard to tell on a lot of it really was. Yeah. Because when I think back now, there's so many resources, there are almost yeah. too many resources, which is an opposite end of, of the spectrum problem for people, yeah. because you can Google deep dive all day long and never really know which approach you quote unquote should choose. So, um, but that's, that's what I did is I just kept diving and figuring it out. What's an ISBN. Do I need an ISBN? These people are saying, I don't need an ISBN. Does that feel valid, you know, and reading and really just finding out, to be honest, who my mentors in the space were, Mm. um, like who, who's, who was I listening to? And then if I trusted them and I did, I, I took their advice and I went from there and if it worked, it worked. And if it didn't, I pivoted again. Then was Jane Friedman, the only voice or she wasn't even there doing it yet. Back then I didn't know of Jane Friedman. And it's funny. I just got, I was so excited to see the hot sheet in my inbox this morning. So I learned about Jane Friedman probably six years ago, because I think Jane, and I don't want to speak for her, but I feel like she's pivoted a little bit. She was very much more in the traditional space with proposals and things like that. And that's not the space I've ever been in because Mm -hmm. ever since going indie in 2005, I suppose that's, you know, I wasn't, I don't follow, I do follow some agents now because I'm still interested in what's going on in the traditional space. I follow Jane. Jane is an absolute unbelievable wealth of information. I just her podcast guest. I just secured her. Oh, good for you. She's, she's remarkable, remarkable. And, um, and I, one of the things I really like about Jane's slight side note is that this is going to become the Jane fan show is that (laughs) she's, she's, um, she sits fairly squarely in the middle. Like she doesn't tell people you should do this or you should do that. She just presents information as it becomes available to her. And I've, I, I really respect that. It's funny because when I first stumbled across her, you know, my big, uh, my big heartbreak in publishing was when Judith Regan was fired. You know, she acquires my book for a lot of money. It's all exciting. And then she's fired by a woman named Jane Friedman, who was right under Rupert Murdoch at Fox and um, who's now in, I does, I think does audio books and like, First, she was she was the focus of my ire because it's like I'm not going to focus on Murdoch. I, I, you know, I, I've always loved Judith Regan. So it was like and then I discovered that there's Jane Friedman's, Jane. you know, an expert on publishing. I mean, literally for five years. That's who I thought it was. Yeah. Different. One. That's funny. That's a great story. I told Jane that, oh, I wrote a piece uh, that she published on her uh, site. And when I pitched her, I was like, by the way, I thought this was you for a long time. <laughs> Um, so, so who were you following back then? That's a great, there were those dudes. There were, there was, there's that guy JT something like there was a guy that really made a lot of headway. He made a lot of money as a, as an indie author. And, and he was one of the first, I can't remember his name, people I discovered. You know, I'm, I I actually, sorry, what (laughs) his name was Barry something. Go on. Ooh, that rings a bell though. Barry's that name rings a bell. I was so admittedly, I had blinders on. So I don't even remember because to call them my mentors actually is probably a little bit of a 
misstatement because it's not like I was following, you know, we didn't, nobody had newsletters back then. We didn't have social media. I wasn't following anybody. It's just per se, when you did a Google search on how do I know if I need an ISBN, for example, the, there were certain websites and resources that would always come up at the top of the Google search. And so I became uber familiar with those. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the first people that I started following very seriously, although this was probably after I had done th- two, at least two books and maybe three of my own was Dave Chesson. Of course. Yeah. You know, because he too is just an absolute wealth of not just information, but tactical, like, here's how you do this. Yeah. I love him. You know, he writes his books under another name. Does he really? Because he told me he was, he was the first guest I had when we switched this podcast to being about books because he's like, well, I don't want to exploit the fact that I have a name in publishing. Oh, bow down to him. By the way, it was Barry Eisler. I just Googled. Yep. That name is very familiar. Yeah. And it's saying he turned down half a million publishing contract for two books and then went and did self-publishing and it's, you know, been terribly successful. Um, So you Mm. figure it out and you publish your book and what happens? Mm. Your first book. So I published my book and in my opinion, really nothing happened to be honest, because we didn't have Amazon. We didn't have anything. I didn't have an agent or a publisher telling me, oh, this, these are your required sales. Like I, I was just getting a check every month and it wasn't earth shattering. It wasn't tens of thousands of dollars, but it was, I mean, I was at that time, a mom of, I don't know, a four-year-old, two-year-old twins. And I think I was pregnant with the next one. Like I, it was happy for any, anything, but it was more than anything. Right. I mean, you know, it was, it was like, okay, that's interesting because go ahead. It was between something and anything. It was between something and anything. I mean, it was four figures. Yeah. It was low four figures every month. Right. And it was like, wait a minute. Like, I'm not promoting this. I'm not, I'm not, I I don't understand. And so I didn't really have a handle at all on what the sales numbers were until several, probably years later, I had hired a publicist who was helping me get on radio and local TV and mostly radio. We didn't have podcasts yet. And she mentioned a girl to me by the name of Jenna McCarthy, Mm -hmm. who is in, well, now she's in Texas, but at the time she was in California and somehow she connected the two of us because Jenna had just written a book called the parent trip that was released by one of the big five traditional publishers. And she said, you know, you guys are so similar. You should connect. So Jenna and I connected And then Jenna was mentioning my book to her agent at the time. And her agent went into book scan out of curiosity and said, oh my God, she's selling, she has sold more books than most of my clients who are traditionally published. And at the time, the number was like 25,000 copies or something like that. And I was like, really? (laughs) 25,000 is so many. Like, Okay. And what's interesting about that though, Anna, is that if that had been one and done, if I had only done that book, I would be sitting here telling you a very different story because I'd be sitting here going, it's easy. 
Right. I know. You write a book with a niche market and you just put it out there and it just goes. Don't you think the universe just doles these out usually in the beginning of our careers? Oh, it's like, I wonder if it's, I never thought about this, just a gateway drug. The universe is like, we're going to give you this and you don't realize this is your blessing. You're like, you know what? Uh I've always kind of deserved this. So here we go (laughs) with my career. Right? Right. I'm raising all these children. Come on. I deserve something. Yeah. It, that's an interesting perspective because, you know, book two, when I did book two, it was the sequel to book one. Book one was newborn twins, first year with twins. Book two was toddler years with twins. And so that was a natural, I mean, it, it didn't sell as well as the first, but it sold well. Mm-hmm. Then I did book three, total flop. Now, in my opinion, here's why. Same market, same demographic. But the demographic wasn't just moms of twins or multiples. It was all moms. So now I was competing with um, Stephanie. I can't remember her last name right oh, now. Yeah, she yeah. Baby to- on board. Uh, Stephanie, uh, she's a friend of mine. Oh, Taylor, yes. Stephanie yes. Taylor something. Yes. Whittle. Sippy Cups are not for Chardonnay. Yeah. It was the book that came out at right around the same. Plus Jenny McCarthy had her. Yep. It was that baby on board. Like she had her books. Everybody, all the celebrities and the people had their books coming out and they were on the today show. And what, what was mine? Who am I? I had no press. I had no nothing. So, and I had no email list. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and that's an interesting, you know, we always talk about the riches are in the niches. I always thought of it like, you know, what I really learned from Ryan holiday, which is you drill down on a niche and then that those people feel that there's a book that's written precisely for them. So they start recommending it, but I actually hadn't thought of it that your competition grows the, to the most popular authors that exist if you're not niching down. Well, and to be fair, because I'm kind of comparing apples and oranges, if I had known how to communicate with the 25, 30,000 people, you know, who had purchased the first and or the second book, I could have sold a lot more books. I mean, Ryan Holiday, who I think is magnificent, has always been more. I, it, back then, and sometimes even now, but back then I didn't have a business mind about being an author. It, I wanted it to sell and I liked the check that came in and I felt creative, but again, I was raising four very young children. So at, I wasn't thinking about would I have loved to get on the today show or do something with it? And did I try to do absolutely, but I wasn't, I wasn't as, um, knee deep in it. As I am mm-hmm. now. And even now, to be honest, my knee deepness is not about promoting my own books. It's about helping other people write theirs. Exactly. I mean, I don't know about you, but I basically write books in order to stay on top of the latest and try techniques out that I can try on clients. Anna here. Now, are you an entrepreneur who wants to write and publish a book about your own failures turned successes? Well, good news. That's what my company, Legacy Launchpad, does. Find out more at LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. That's LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. Now, should you do a book, you ask? I think so. Why? Because you're worth it. Now back to the show. Do you think that's an interest? That's very interesting. Yeah. I um I mean, when I wrote the my last book, the fifth one, it was really something I wanted to say, because it was something that I was experiencing as an entrepreneur. And so it was, it was, 
it was a bunch of stuff that had been on my mind for a while that I had figured out how to think about differently and have a different perspective on. And I wanted to say, but I do think a lot now that I'm book coaching, I think a lot now about how did I write all those books? You know, what was my process for doing that? And I I incorporate that. What I think that you said too, that's really interesting is that, you know, it has to be something you're interested in exploring. When I was on the traditional publishing, like you got to do a book a year path. Mm -hmm. I was writing about stuff I didn't really care about, which is crazy to me. And yeah. it's like, you just, you know, I released this podcast episode today with Paul Angoni, and he was just talking about, you have to be so passionate about this that you're willing to talk about it for years and focus for years. And I have written books where I don't feel like that at all. Have all you? day because, well, and here's the thing is that from the, and I've not been admittedly, right. I've not been traditionally published, but from what I understand, and cause I know a lot of people who have is more of a business over there. You know, it's like what cover will sell, what content will sell, what voice will sell, what topic will sell, what controversy will sell. And so that's why sometimes people, not all authors, but some authors get quote unquote roped in to writing a book that they're not super passionate about, or they write a book that they were passionate about. But then once the editor gets a hold of it and makes it into what they think is marketable, all of a sudden the author's like, this isn't even my book anymore. It doesn't feel like my book anymore. And therefore it's hard to talk about it and promote it. But that's something I stand very, very firmly on. And this is something you and I have talked about. And I I believe I'm going to let you correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but I'm pretty sure we share this opinion. If you're going to write about, please let it be something that you're super passionate about talking about for as long as you're passionate about talking about it. If you decide in six months or three years or 10 years that you don't want to talk about it anymore, totally fine. That's when when your sales are going to drop off because somebody else is talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's ironic. Well, I mean, what you said is you, this thing about traditional publishing is more like a business, but, and I'd never really thought about it like that, but it's the business is for the traditional publisher because they don't yes. think about it at all as a business for the author, which is why they're capturing the email address. I mean, they're not really capturing email addresses right. with Amazon anyway, but the idea is, you know, when a book is finished, they don't want, you know, the number one thing that people want to do when they finish a book, if they finish it, is connect with the author, not connect with the publisher. Why? Would and that's care? what I, and that's what I say all the time. People don't buy books from publishers. So people will come to me and they'll say, well, Elizabeth, I really want a traditional publisher. And the main reasons why people want a traditional publisher in my experience are they think there's a huge advance. Yeah. They think that there's huge marketing, Yeah, you know, and connecting. And it's like, and also they don't understand the timeline. They don't understand that it's going to be three years, if not more, depending on how long it takes to get the agent and et cetera. But I say, when they say about the marketing, I'm like, this is such a huge misconception because people don't buy books from publishers. They buy books from authors, especially in the day of social media, when you can actually connect with those authors. Nobody's out there connecting with Penguin on social media. I know. And it's interesting, Jennifer Armstrong, who I had on the podcast, who has a New York Times bestseller, she's like, you got to just think of them as a printing service. You're, you're just going to be disappointed if you think of them as more than that. So, so yeah. how, how did you start getting in touch with your readers and getting your newsletter subscribers and all of that? Um, really that started when social media started Mm -hmm. and when there just became a way, I mean, I went through all the like rigmarole that we all hear about, you know, have a lead magnet have a, the word funnel make, I have a visceral reaction and it's not good (laughs) because it makes me think of like funneling cattle into a pen, but I understand what people are 
you know, saying when they say it. And the idea is go out and find them, which is easier now than it's ever been, and then offer them a reason to stay connected to you, which is not, in my experience, like it depends on your genre, to be clear. Yeah. So I don't work with, I don't work with fiction writers and their opportunities for connecting with readers are very different from nonfiction or memoir because it's more character-based and it's more story-based. Whereas, especially with nonfiction, it's more self-development-based. And it does seem like massive generalization. It's far easier for certain genres of fiction writers to churn it out and to really have their business model be backlist and, you know, giving perma-free one book so that they get the series and all of that. And I do think it's much harder to, to churn it out if you're doing nonfiction. It's a completely different approach. Like you can almost look at it. I think of it, most people don't realize that on Amazon, the paperback store and the Kindle store are two different stores. Mm -hmm. Even though they merged together, they are two different databases on Amazon. I think of this in the same way. When you're a fiction writer versus a nonfiction or a memoir writer, it's two completely different. You're, You're all writing books, but the approach to marketing and the like you said, the perma-free on the first one and then building up a backlist and getting people involved in the next character and doing pre-orders and all those sorts of things, which is what people do very successfully in the fiction realm, is wildly different from the nonfiction and the memoir realm. And especially in the nonfiction realm, so many of at least my clients are looking to build their business, which revolves around it's either based on their book or their book is an extension of something where they're already coaching, teaching, guiding, whatever verb, you know, you want to use other people. Mm, Absolutely. And that's same with our clients. So, but wait, okay. I do want to go back to one thing. What do you think it was with your first book? Just straight up beginner's luck. You know what? the, The truth is, I don't know for sure. What I suspect, I don't think it was beginner's luck. I think that I hit without realizing it. I like it's that whole preparation meets opportunity thing. And, and it's like I hit the opportunity because there were no, there were, there were only a few books on the market about expecting twins to begin with. And they were all at the time quite like your life is over. <laughs> They weren't, you know, and this was when Vicki Iovine was really big with her girlfriend's guide stuff. And honestly, Anna, that's what I wanted. I was like, Vicki, why couldn't you have had twins and written the girlfriend's guide to twins? Because that's the book I need right now. Mm-hmm. But she didn't. And so I just, I, I, I saw that as an opportunity. And I think that there were, happened to be a lot of people who wanted that. And the other thing was, it wasn't just book orders. It was, there were, unbeknownst to me for a while, there were hospitals ordering in bulk because they were running what was called Marvelous Multiples, which was a program that had been put together by a a nurse who was also a mom of twins that was being offered by different hospitals. And the hospitals were ordering volume and giving the book to all of the participants in those, in those classes. Oh, well, don't you think that was your big thing? I mean, do you know how many 
sales just I that don't. alone? <laughs> I don't. I don't because the only way to get that information is through book scan. And even book scan is unreliable when it comes to off market right. stuff. Like it was all through the distributor I was working with. Wow. And I just, if you had seen, I mean, my reports for my distributor every month were 15 pages long. Overwhelmed. So I couldn't. So have you tried to reverse engineer that and be like, I'm going to write a book that I know institutions can bulk order? I haven't because, and it's an interesting question. And I guess the answer is because right now the answer is because that feels formulaic to me and I don't write in a formulaic, you know, I'm not, so there are certain modalities that say, here's how you can figure out what kind of a book will sell. You can go out on Amazon and you can see what people are searching for. And if you know, a lot of people are searching for this certain thing, then you know that if you write a book about it, it will probably maybe sell well, but that is just an approach that has never felt good to me. I, I write like it stuff just comes through me and I, I, that's how I write. So Interesting. I know I've read those things. I've read those. And it literally be like, lots of people are searching for kids playing tennis. I've never played tennis, but I'm going to write a book about that. And <laughs> right. I think that, that was really effective for a while. I will say I use it and I teach it, which is, you know, your book. And I mean, I got this from Dave Chesson. So start looking in Amazon to see how it auto populates because mm-hmm. you're already writing the book. So s- include sections that people are already searching for. I do find that really helpful. I find that really helpful too. And another thing that I find very helpful is recognizing what the keywords are that people are searching for and making sure that those are in not only your book description, but if possible, your reviews, which yes, that's and a whole by different- the way, your author bio, the whole uh, thing, the whole thing. Um, yeah, I, so, okay. So by the way, remember we, so of course you remember it was yesterday. We're going back and forth about, we've got to find an exact angle for this episode. And of course, because we have so much to talk about, we really haven't gotten into the angle. Well, we're kind of verging on it now, which is what do you put in your book? That was the angle we decided. Like, how do you find out, you know, how do you basically come up with I don't know, your table of contents? Is that kind of what we're doing? What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I find and I hear all the time holds people back from actually writing their book because, you know, my clients are doing the writing themselves. So they, they are like, I have a story. I have something to share. I either have a story like my life or I have a process if we're talking about business. And sometimes there's a little bit of crossover. But where they get stuck most of the time is it's like, I'm so overwhelmed. So they do what's normally suggested or often suggested, which is they do this big brain dump. And one of two things happens. Either it's 75 pages long and they're, and they can't figure out how to make it all come together with a nice bow, or it's like four things mm-hmm. because they're overthinking it. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're trying to think through like, well, should I talk about that? Well, should I talk about that? Well, am I... I don't know. Have I been working on that long enough to actually position myself as an expert air quotes on it? And so that's where they get stuck Mm -hmm. is in figuring out what do we include and what do we not include? And when you're ghostwriting, which you're intimately familiar with, obviously you guide them through that process of figuring out, well, what is the, you know, what is the table of contents? And I'm working on a ghostwriting project right now. and, And that's something that had to happen. Mm -hmm. was, you know, what are those, but that's where people get really 
stuck and they don't progress from there mm-hmm. because they come up with some story, pun intended, about well, clearly I shouldn't be doing this because I can't figure out. So how do you guide them? What's the process? Well, it's different for fiction or for nonfiction versus memoir. So nonfiction mm-hmm. in my world is much more uh, tactical. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do you want to say? What are the, what, first of all, what is the thing that your book is guiding people through? Because it's not a whole mess of things. It's not everything you've ever done. It's like, what do you want this book to help a reader overcome? Mm-hmm. And then what are the steps that you take people through? Mm-hmm. And more often than not with that sort of a book, if the author is operating in integrity they have gone through that. That's the process they created for themselves. Yep. So it's like, take yourself back three years, five years, whatever it was, and identify what were the things, what were the steps that really worked for you? What were mm-hmm. the things that you needed to hear and know back mm-hmm. then? Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's kind of where we start to get clear on that. I love it. It's so, it's so, it was always interesting to me when people differentiate between nonfiction and memoir. I was like, memoir is nonfiction. It is. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Rob Fitzpatrick, who I recently had on the show, was talking about a how-to book, how-to versus memoir, because really that's what, that's what we're talking about. And so, and so if, is there anything else about like, okay, take it back six months, five years, however long it is that you developed this process and you're now explaining to other people, what do you do next? You go, okay. So for instance, I'm doing a book right now about how to uh, plan and promote a book. So, and and, this is different because I'm taking podcast interviews and I'm doing it, but like, how, how would we do that? Um, We would go, how would you guide someone through that? You go, okay. So what was your starting point? Is that yes. how it starts? Exactly. Like what, you know, one of the things that I find very effective is for authors to write a letter to their reader first. I love it. And more often than not, the reader is them, who they were three or five years ago. So essentially what you're doing is you're connecting with your reader. You're getting outside of yourself and outside of your, I have to be, you're getting outside of your perfectionist tendencies in order to say, dear whomever, name them if you want. Here's what I know to be true about you. Here's where I know you are right now. Here's what your fears are. Here's what are, here's what's keeping you from moving forward. Here's what you're really, really good at, but here's where you're stuck. And I have great news. Like, again, now we're going into like the typical copy editing stuff, but right. or marketing stuff. But the good news is there's a path. And one of the things that's really important is that authors not hold themselves as the savior to the reader. So all you're saying is here is a path. You are not saying here is the one and only path. That takes the pressure off everyone. But here's the thing. I want to share with you my process that I used to get through this and or that I um, utilize when I'm helping my clients or however you, Mm -hmm. whatever, get through this. Mm -hmm. And here's what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And you start to get really clear and you don't have to get into the nitty gritty of it at that point. But when, what you're doing when you do that is you're creating the bubble mm-hmm. and then it just comes down to what goes into the bubble. Mm-hmm. Like you're creating the hub of the wheel and what's in that, what's encapsulated in that hub. 
Do you have a certain set number of chapters that you recommend? I don't. I mean, I think most nonfiction end up between like 12 and 18 chapters. And it just mm-hmm. depends on, you know, I don't, I don't subscribe to a word count. I think anything under 40,000 words or under 35,000 words is a pamphlet, not a book. Mm-hmm. But kind of a, a stickler about that. Um, maybe 35,000, but I don't believe in adding words just to add words. Mm-hmm. I think that when you're really connected to helping. And that's what a book really is about is serving. So when people come to me and this doesn't happen much anymore, but, and they say, look, I just want to hit a bestseller list for five minutes so that I can say I'm a bestselling author. And that's going to sell me tons of books and make me millions of dollars and make me the sought after expert on every stage. That's not the right person for me. Right. Right. You know, I do. Yeah. I know, you know, (laughs) and I I know we share this intimately. Yeah, Yeah. So when you're really looking to serve another person through telling your stories, it's not hard to get 40,000 words, 50,000 words, or even 60,000 words. It's just not. But do you, I know on a personal level, Mm -hmm. I like reading shorter books now. A lot of people do. I hate to say it, but I do. Um, And studies are showing that because it just means you can read more. And some authors are just going on and on and on. I, I find self-help yeah. has never been my thing. And it's like, I always feel like it, the first chapter says it and then the next 10 are repeating it. But that's because it could be me. You know, I think that often is the case. That often yeah. is the case. And if you don't have enough to get yourself to, you know, something solid, I mean, 80,000 words is such an old, an old paradigm because it's what was the average back in the day for traditional books, mostly fiction based yeah, or mostly, you know, fiction. But I think there's always an exception. So there are a lot of people who say, well, I don't like to read long books. And you have to kind of dive into why that is. Because when those people find a book that's 250 pages long, that is just chock full of amazing information and stories, they read it. Yeah. So it may not be that they don't like reading long books. It may be that they don't like reading repetitive nonsense, number one. Right. And number two, if there's someone who wants to be like, well, I read a book a week, but in order to accomplish that goal, they know the book has to only be 97 pages. Well, then there's their motivation. Right. Well, okay. So we have to uh, get to wrapping up, do you have any final advice for somebody who's, I mean, I guess who wants to write a how-to book, what, what they should do? Well, I mean, hire you. you. What's that? Hire you. Or you. I mean, whether you want to write how-to or memoir, and to be clear, the distinction between the two for me is that when you're writing what I call transformative nonfiction or how-to, you can call it whatever, but you're, you have a a, you want to, you want the reader to take an action. There's a very specific action that you are giving to the reader with the hope that they may take it. When you're writing memoir, you are not attached to Mm, what they take from the story. Yeah. That's, that to me is the, the difference, but I think it's, it's really important. And I've always said this to just understand why you really want to do it. And then what's the why under that why? And what's the why, you know, do the six layers or whatever deep of why, because once you, as with anything, once you really uncover why you want to do it and what you want to get out of it, 
you can execute it most efficiently. Mm-hmm. Whether that's write it yourself, hire someone to write it for you, write it 30 page ebook, do a no- novel, like whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. I love it. So if people want to reach you, what's the best way? And, and t- let's just also quickly say all your offers because you have courses, you have coaching, um, go. So funny, I've, I've minimized, I've simplified. So but you the have best- courses still. I have one. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I think I've told you, I'm so frustrated by trying to sell courses. It's just, you know, when the beginning of the conversation, you were like, is this masochism or is this determination? <laughs> That's how I feel about trying to sell my, you guys, my courses are so good and you don't buy them. Yeah. Listen and I feel, I feel exactly the same And I know your courses and you know, my court, like I, I, I get it. I think for me, so I have I have the book writing accelerator, which is my 12 week intimate group program. And it's a coaching program through writing nonfiction or memoir, writing nonfiction and memoir is an experience period. It's not something that in my world we sit down and do in a weekend. It is a full on experience. And and you're learning about yourself as you're, as you're writing the book period. And then I have my, my course, the only course I have now, which is how to publish a book. How, yeah. to, how to self-publish a book that can be sit next to any New York Times bestseller and be indistinguishable in quality. Yep. Yeah. So those are my two things. Well, so people can take, can, can take those courses. They can sign up for your coaching. Is, is your coaching, uh, you know, do you just launch a few times a year? I do. But the next one launches in July. We mm-hmm. start in July and it goes for 12 weeks. And I usually do two or three containers a year of that. Mm-hmm. And, and then a- the publishing course is evergreen. And then, of course, they can get your books. Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, and so where can they find you online? The best place is elizabethlyons.com. And that'll take people out to the course sites and the coaching site, wherever they want to go. But the hub is elizabethlyons.com. Well, this has been such a delight. I'm it so sure glad has. we finally did this. Me too. Um, and you guys, thank you as ever for listening. Go find her. Thanks for joining me this week on Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with Anna David. For more info about the show, go to entrepreneurpublishing.academy where you can get links to show notes and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and all the other places. Speaking of those places, if you got anything out of this show, I can't tell you how much I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes and please Don't forget you can tell an author or entrepreneur friend about the show. Another forget-me-not, my company Legacy Launchpad Publishing is available to help industry leaders and those with stories to share at any stage in their publishing journeys, whether that's writing, editing, or publishing. Just go to LegacyLaunchpadPub.com to find out more. And be sure to tune in next week for next week's episode. You know, if you subscribe, you never have to worry about missing one.